Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, sitting here as always with Arthur Black. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. <laughs> Good. I was actually talking to the audience. I figured as much. I'm glad to hear you're cool, Ed. Uh, today we're hanging out here with uh, the unemployed Madeline Hilly. <laughs> Fun thanks, employment. Thanks very much. Hi. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about getting breaking into winemaking yeah. and, and kind of the travels that you uh, have been through over the over the years and. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And this is our um, first episode back in Indianapolis in a little while. Arthur and I have been traveling together and separately to a few places. I mean, uh, post-New York, um, I spent some time in San Francisco, which we were just talking about because of the time you just got back from Napa, mm-hmm. Madeline. And, um, as of course, as usual, hung out with Martin Kate and drank way too many tiki cocktails. That's not really a thing. I drank a lot. I can't say too many. <laughs> I, I drank a lot of them. That was a good trip. Had a great meal at Qua. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Just kind of cruising around. And while I was doing that, you were getting your uh, juju recalibrated in uh, Guatemala. God damn, I miss my avocado box. <laughs> <laughs> I really miss my avocado box. Uh, explain what the avocado box is. I've seen the photos. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, 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 was, I was down in Guatemala, and I, I, I really just went down there for like... Um, a break and a spiritual kind of thing and some vision quest and some other, you know, crazy kooky kind of things like that. And I stayed on a very remote, like, ashram farm that was at the base of a volcano. There are 37 different volcanoes in Guatemala, if you didn't know. Um, and it took some planes and it took some cars and it took some boats to um, to, to get to. But uh, upon arrival, it was a, a small, beautiful parcel that was it was pretty it was it was it was a fucking garden of eden it um had no electricity uh there's only one or two sinks of, of running water um you and i have a very different definition of the garden of eden <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> what I, yours I has plumbing right <laughs> in the traditional sense i don't know if the garden even had um had had urinals and indoor plumbing so i'm guessing not <laughs> That was a nice little tie-in. Uh, they had compost toilets, so I, I shit on piles for a week. Um, I was nice enough to be visited by animals during those 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 instances of uh, of, of, of fecal removal. Um, a scorpion too. I, I I looked down on my compost uh, compost toilet, and there there was a scorpion. And he's a cute little fella. He wasn't one of the happy, big, scary guys that are actually poisonous. Um, he was he was a little guy. Yeah, but you're so like you listening to you t- say all this. It sounds like this is misery. But like you were totally reset when I talked to you when you came back. You were yeah. like in tune with the earth and like ready to go. I know I'm catching you on a weird day today. We've we've all had kind of a trying weekend and, and day today. But uh, I mean, you were like full on like man i'm i'm all in let's do it let's let's go uh, tackle life i i caught myself by the end of of the trip the end of my time there referring to myself as a child of god and one if you know me as a angry slash atheist or better <laughs> referred to as a pantheist uh one who believes in I mean, essentially like like all the really smart people on the planet are pantheist um you know, Einstein, people like this, you know, Tesla. Uh, so you're putting yourself up there with, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, with I'm, Nikola I'm, Tesla. I'm, and, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm right there, man. It's, it, it's energy. It's all different manifestations. And this was an extremely spiritual place. I, uh, I mentioned Avocado Box, and I, I, I did sleep for a couple of weeks in a box that was in a tree and it was an avocado tree and it was about 30 feet off the ground and it wasn't a tree house because I think tree house implies a certain amount of space. I saw photos of this thing. It looked like it was about the size of a coffin. About. I could stretch out both hands, uh, easily touch both walls, but, you know, all I had were outside of a rope, you know, to get into said tree. Um, and a rosemary bush, which was at the bit, because there's plants all over this little Eden, um, including aloe plants, which I desperately needed not too long after being there. There's a little rosemary bush at the base of my tree, and every time I would pass it, <laughs> I would rub my little 
rosemary tree and I would rub the oils onto my beard and I'd give it a little blessing because apparently in Eden, blessings are big fucking things. Lots of ohms, lots of blessing things. And um, the, it, 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 the whole damn thing shut down at, at 8, 8.30 at night. Uh, everything, everybody was up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, just prayer and meditation. And I uh, would chill in my box and I would stare out uh, over the, um, the farm, the, the, the meditation center. And then a beautiful crystalline lake, Lake Atitlan, that is the highest elevation Southern Hemisphere lake. And, so anybody uh, that's been paying attention to our Instagram feed, and if you haven't been, please do, because we try to put up some cool stuff. But we did actually put a few photos up of you in Guatemala uh, with oh, the uh, volcano in the background while you're doing some sort of yoga shit. Yeah, know. man, those those volcanoes were like there were volcanoes active around us. They were billowing smoke. And if you ever spent time in Hawaii, or if you spent time that um, you know, not just places that were formed from volcanism because i mean come on that's life that's you know creation volcanism um it's where isn't that where the uh the aliens dropped the seeds of humanity into volcanoes <laughs> <laughs> so we went in a sad direction of scientology um which i've now been blacklisted i don't think uh, no one in the church of scientology is allowed to listen to shift ring now <laughs> oh, oh fuck I, I, as, as they were before right, they're, they're, they're not allowed to listen to the outside world they're crazy anyways but it, it was an amazing awesome spiritual experience where um yeah, every, everything. I, 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 at the end of it, I didn't want to come home. I'm like, hey, I could climb up and down a tree every day, and I could shit on a pile, and I'd, I'd, I'd probably be all right. Uh, you were real, real in tune. Yeah, it's it, 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 great. It made me think about it because I had forgotten. But while we were um, when we landed in San Francisco, we actually got there um, the day Chinese New Year started. And my wife is ethnically Chinese, but you know, born and raised in Thailand, but. Um, so I have been listening for the last six months about how this is 2018 is going to be this terrible year for me because I'm a year of the dragon and it's like the year of the dog. I don't know. Oh, no. I don't get all the like astrology part of it, but apparently it's like some bad juju. So anyhow, like, I mean, San Francisco's got a beautiful Chinatown, like largest in the U.S. And so uh, the festivities were really in full force. And so we were walking around getting some of these, you know, uh, foods that are only kind of made during that time period. And I was like, well, hey, why don't we wake up early tomorrow and just go, go check out this temple? Well, I'm thinking, like, temple, right? I mean, and we walk in. It's, like, this tiny little hmm. size of a row house, and it's on the fourth floor only. I like you'd like walk up. roadhouse with, like... Not road. Dalton. Row. Not row. <laughs> oh, row house. Okay. I, I, I thought you were going to yeah, make a yeah. reference to uh, Patrick Swayze. But there was a sign on the door, and it said, if you're a tourist, please, like, kind of reconsider coming in to check out the temple during this time period because this is a very busy time for us with our, you know, blessings and whatever. This is, you know, uh, traditionally a very busy time for Chinese people. But my wife's like, let's go check it out. I'm like, that's fine. We walk up these <laughs> three flights of very narrow, didn't totally trust stairs, get up to the top, and the capacity of this place had to have been like 40. And there was, I guarantee you, no less than 120 people in this room. It was like wild. And so... Everybody's speaking Chinese, except for myself. And, of course, my wife does not speak Chinese either because she's Thai. But she understands all of, like, the, you know, tradition behind it. And so I had to go through the same process. We went up to this old woman who's, like, so what was happening is, like, if you were born in one of these years that had some bad juju for the year of the dog, like, she would do this whole, like, thing and, like, write your name on paper. And then you take this paper over to an altar. And then you're supposed to give all your bad juju to this, like... I, I don't know, statue, like this kind of demon-y looking thing. And then you're supposed to come back at the end of the year and burn the paper or whatnot um, to like release that. But for an extra 38 bucks, they'll just go ahead and do it for you. <laughs> because it's like, as much as I wanted to like- For the low, low price of well, $38. I mean, I wanted to be like, let's just come back and do it ourselves. Because a lot of people that live in the neighborhood, I mean, they do, you know, right. but we didn't live in And I was like, well, this is a good excuse to come back to San Francisco. And like, I'll guarantee. But then of course my luck would be, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it. So, and then I'd be cursed with bad juju forever. So, but no, no it was interesting. Because I went over there with this really old lady and she did this whole like big Chinese, prayer and all this stuff and I mean it was it was segregated apart from the rest of the crowds because it was like a very you know religious thing so there wasn't like hundreds of people right next to me 
while we were doing this. It was kind of cool. Well, for one, you shouldn't call your wife an old lady. Um, <laughs> no, she wasn't allowed back there. Unless you're in the she show. She wasn't allowed. She didn't, because she's not in that Year of the Dragon thing. Huh. I don't, she's a, I think she's a Year of the Rat. Two, there's a lot of other cultures. Like, if you don't dig on your year, fuck it. I was Year of the Turtle down there, you know? Um, That's, I know. Believe me, I've had this <laughs> argument. I lost it. I, I just, literally my words to her were when she said, Okay, the, the, with this, this elderly lady, she's doing this, and you do this, and it'll, like, clear you of all the bad luck you're going to have this year or whatnot. And, and I said, if I do this, then can we stop talking about how bad luck this year is going to be? Because I feel like it's been a, almost a weekly conversation, so now it's gone away. Yeah, but, I mean, there's, like, a year of the animal. There's a day of the animal. Like, I... I met, um, if you've ever seen the movie... Um, Roadhouse? No, well, <laughs> that, that, that too, which is great fucking flick. Um, but um, Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a really gorgeous Caribbean woman who is like this sea goddess named Calypso. Um, we had a Calypso on our yoga farm in, in Ashram. Uh, she was genuinely from another planet, and she told me that um, according to a ancestral galactic... Sky God that See, lives I knew in the you were at a mountains. Scientology getaway. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, that I I'm the year of the the crystal blue eagle, which is a whole nother. <laughs> that's thing. way wow. cooler sounding. Yeah, that really. Oh, it, oh, it was cookie shit. And put and, that on your business card. Arthur no, Black, actually, Advanced Sommelier, <laughs> Society of Wine Educators. Blue crystal, crystal blue. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this, and I swear to God, we're gonna actually gonna start talk to the to the topic at hand, and and our lovely guesters with us. Um, I have a new post-nominal. Forget all this sommelier crap and sake and spirit certifications. <laughs> I like how we start an episode with uh, someone breaking into winemaking with, forget all this sommelier and wine crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to crush dreams, but I'm telling you, <laughs> there, there's a new accreditation I'm starting out there, and it, it's called MSC, uh, Master Sugar Glider Catcher. <laughs> Did you catch a sugar glider? I fucking caught a sugar <laughs> glider. And the crazy thing is not in Guatemala. I only had the epiphany of, of assuming that title <laughs> in Guatemala while I was hanging out at a deck, looking up at a volcano, talking to someone who looked like Zohan. Was this during the poison frog ceremony? This is before the, 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 okay. the poison frog ceremony. <laughs> um, so you, We'll skip past that part for the sake of employment. Okay, but well, I, 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 first person I told was my boss. <laughs> like, you're not going to believe what happened. Have you ever melted patches of skin away and pasted on Amazonian fro uh, frog poison? It's a ride. Um, but uh, it's so, real quickly, do you guys, you know what a sugar glider is? You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sound like you know. It's a cooler uh, squirrel. That's it's right, a, yeah. <laughs> fucking adorable. Yeah, they, yeah. they look so cute. They almost look like CG. <laughs> so years ago, a sugar glider got into my house, and I just thought it was a, you know, coked out muskrat or a squirrel or something because they're fast and oh, they, yeah. they fly, hence the glider thing. So anyway, yeah. he put it all together in Guatemala. <laughs> oh, He's like, wait a minute, they glide. That's wait. why they're called sugar gliders. <laughs> it all came together. And I saw this thing, and I'm like, there's varmint in the house. It's my job as the man to catch that thing. Varmint. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but, you know, um, the dogs weren't going to help. I'm just laughing at your Bugs Bunny, like, <laughs> like terminology here. That darn varmint. Varmint. Var varmint's not a thing? Varmint's it is. It's a legitimate thing. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, the, Stella's too much of a spaz to do anything, and then Blind Lou's blind, so he would just, like, rear oh, his yeah, head, poor dog. hit a wall, and be like, what the fuck? And, uh, and dog, if you're blind, that translates translates to, what the fuck? Um, I can't see anything, and I have no, no idea what's going on. So I caught this sugar glider with my bare hands after running up and down, like, three flights of stairs after a couple bottles of wine, and then I thought, it's an animal it has to go so I, I opened the door and I let it go and then I was like shit that wasn't a squirrel that was a sugar glider and they're expensive and they make adorable pets 
Um, anyways, I, I, I cut my losses, assumed that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to have a sugar glider as a pet. But I ran into this um, young, attractive fellow who was a volunteer at the ashram, and he looked just like the Zohan, and he sounded like him too. And he's actually from Israel. And uh, we just got talking one night, sitting out on the deck, and he was encouraging me to, to take a look at how beautiful the skies and the volcanoes were. And I was like, you ever heard of sugar gliders? And it just... It just went, went from off. There, huh? It went off from there. So yeah, a new post nominal after you know AS, CSS, CSS, CWE, CSW, WSET, all these this whatever fucking alphabet soup of post nominals. I have MSC and I'm I'm pretty proud of it. So you should seriously start putting it on there so, and just see how many people even ask. I want to. I, I'm just gonna and they're like, well, what does MSC mean? Fucking Master Sugar Glider? Are you kidding me? Have you got one? <laughs> So I convinced I'm the only one that's caught one by hand. Um, Madeline, do you have a spirit animal? Yes, I do. It's a pelican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm all about birds of all stripes. I'm okay with that. So, um, you're young, but how does that make you feel about the potential of chin fat in the future? Pardon? My chin fat? Chin fat. <laughs> Pelicans have the big that is chin yeah, yeah. fat thing. They well, got the big... I heard about this new procedure that you can do, and uh, I don't know, maybe. Wonder Pelicans? <laughs> wonder Pelican pel- plastic surgery. <laughs> Pelicans are fair game in this. Yeah. Like some really self-conscious Pelicans out there? I think that their there. chins make them endearing. I think so. I love yeah. Pelicans. Oh, they're A very wonderful. strange bird is a pelican. Its beak can hold more than its belly can. And... You, you probably look at people who have done, like in our industry, tattoos, body modification, big hoops in their ears and shit, and pelicans are just scratching their heads like, really? <laughs> right. You know, like, you don't, this is the natural thing for us. We've come to terms with it. It's, there's utility, but are you catching fish in your earlobes? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Ours is strictly uh, ornamental. Oh, my God. What's your God. spirit animal? Well, it was the turtle, according oh, okay. to the Mayan calendar, but the day and everything. Now it's was, a blue crystal eagle. That was yeah, the blue crystal true. eagle. And um, that was a comp- conversation that was prompted by. I mean, a crystal blue eagle, isn't that the meth in Breaking Bad? <laughs> right. <laughs> is, is that the name of it? I'll, I'll look that up. That, that'd even be more cool. But um, I wanted to get some body work done uh, because I my, my very first day down there, uh, I laid out in the sun for an hour, and you are at high elevation, but it is, you know, like a, a temperate climate. It wasn't crazy hot. It was just a lot of sun. Within one hour, the sun struck my ass down. I ended up just blood red. I had blisters after several days uh, across my entire chest and stomach Ugh. and on my, my forearms and arms that were exposed and on my shins. And this is a fucked up thing, man. This is the universe. It was just like, hey, I know you came here to practice a bunch of yoga, but you're going to sit your ass down, and you're going to be burnt, and you're going to be happy, and you're going to hang out in hammocks, and you're going to read and meditate and rub rosemary bushes and sleep in a tree, and that's all the fuck is to it. So I had to stay there if uh, people were practicing yoga or if they were going to go hiking or something. And then Calypso came in, and she was like, I'll do some body work. By the way, did you know that you're a Blue Eagle, you know, crystal thing? And I said, no. And um, I asked her what she was doing that day. And she said, well, I'm going to San Pedro, which is a small town on Lake Atitlan. You got to take a wee little boat over to get to this town. And I said, what you doing there? And she said, well, I'm going to do Kamba, which is... Um, it's a it's a, a shaman uh, facilitated experience where you ingest a deadly poison from an Amazonian frog, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, uh, sign me up!" And um, we made the arrangements, and after several like little corners in this sort of Pac-Man sort of maze of alleyways on San Pedro Drive, uh, San Pedro driving this little. Tuk Tuk, which is one of like the little, yeah, yeah, little three wheeled little taxi things yeah. that you see all throughout Asia. I ended up in a, a backyard uh, guarded by an iron fence with, with you know, barbed wire, of course. And uh, it was a beautiful little backyard once we opened the gate and she let me in. And there was a shaman and really kind of deconstructed notions of a shaman that I have because she was really hot and she smelled so good. Um. <laughs> And sat me down, and she was like, All right, did you fast? And I'm like, no, because you're supposed to. 
did you drink a lot of water? And I said, no, because you're, you're supposed to. And she was like, do you have any idea what you're doing right now? And I said, <laughs> no. no, but I'm supposed to be here. And um, she kind of she told me the ride, and she handed me a bucket because she said the vast majority of people, like everybody, will purge and throw up or you'll shit yourself. And I said, I'll take the bucket. And um, I, like, put it on the ground. She forced it into my lap. She was like, no, seriously, this is a thing. And then she, uh, they take incense. And they, they burn little dots on you. I got these. these oh, I, saw, I noticed those. Yeah, yeah. I got these five little dots. That's where those came those from. Nice. Uh, well, this is where the scars came from. I thought it'd be a good idea to have them tattooed. Okay, gotcha. Right. So I was getting some touch-up work done on my calves, and I was like, would you do some dots? And they said, sure. And so these are my, my little combo dots. And um, it, it, it was a ride, man. It was, it was one of the most intense experiences I've ever had in my life. And it was completely natural and vibrational. There's nothing chemical or um, manufactured about it. And I, I basically stepped inside of a Van Gogh painting that was on fire for about 25 minutes. Um, I did take the opportunity to ask the shaman where she was from. And she, in return, asked me, do you really want to talk about write this on your, you know, on your vision quest? And then I realized I was flirting, and I'm just going to shut the fuck up. Um, so wrote it out, and she said, most people lay down for a couple hours. I was like, there's a hammock. You mind if I go chill on the hammock? And I went and chilled on the hammock, and I rocked out the Danzig. Um, nice. <clears throat> and then I watched the dude come up next after me. And as soon as he took it, uh, he was like a local, local and had done it a bunch. But every, everyone's ride's different. Everyone's trip's different. Um, he, he just like damn near started bleeding out of his eyeballs and, and was throwing up profusely. Wow. Yeah. So the shaman kind of had to sing to him and walk him through it. And I was in the hammock listening to Danzig like, you didn't sing to me. <laughs> and she respectfully was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and um, cool. Yeah. It was, it was great. I came Sounds back awesome. awesome. And well, like, thanks, folks, for tuning in. This has been uh, Yoga in Guatemala <laughs> with Arthur Black. Next week, we'll have uh, Madeline back with us. Again. <laughs> yeah. And there will, no, uh, there will no longer be any speak of Guatemala. Um, I don't think there's a segue here, so why don't we just jump into it? I was like, I was really listening to this Poison Frog story. Like, all right, is there, a, is there an opportunity for a segue right here? And... There wasn't, like, at any no, point, I'm like, no. you know, Poison Frog, speaking of that, we were th talking about dogs before we recorded, <laughs> and dogs and wine, and, and hey, wait a minute, wine! <laughs> I'll admit, this is not our, our point, and I've highly <laughs> criticized podcasts that start and, Have talk, you? <laughs> and talk about really dumb shit until they get to the topic at hand, but let's face it, most of them are talking about how their fucking basil plants are doing, and they're not talking about combo, so... Um, I'm sure Brad will edit this. That's all right. No, well, man, I leave it in. Let it go. I, so. I, I can't yeah. wait to go do it again. So, any case. Um, so, again, Madeline, Madeline Hilly. She did Madeline Hilly. Um, Hi. I, I've known her for, I, I guess, several years now, right? I mean, it, the time creeps. Five, I think. Okay, something like that. Yep. She. Um, she is originally of Ohio, right? Yes, that is correct. And then ha has been uh, a staple in our community in Indianapolis for a while in, in the way of, of uh, working at different off-premise places and, and being you know, an awesome bartender, but she's also uh, a young wine enthusiast. And she, um, she has a pair, man. She was just <laughs> like, I'm going to take off and I'm going to... Embrace this and work some harvest, and she's she's been to two harvests now in New Zealand. Two in New Zealand, yeah. Okay, two in New Zealand, and um, one has, in has Napa. Come back for and one in Napa, yeah. And has come back for we don't know how long, but we're happy to have her. And yeah, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you show. for having yeah. me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> like Arthur's like, yeah, this is the show. Like it, that really sums it up. Like. <laughs> The first 20 minutes about poison frogs, yoga, and <laughs> that's right. It's a just, good time. I'm just in a more odd space than usual. No, uh, I went from like kind of enlightenment and being a child of God to like going out to Napa and doing some work in the vineyards and being faced with other lively problems. And now I'm back here and I came back to like 10 fucking inches of snow. Yeah, that sucked. At least it's all melting though. Yeah. yeah. It'll be gone soon. So adjusting to that. So but, you just got um, back from Napa. When were you? 
in Napa? Because you said before we got started today that you had just come back. Yes, yeah. I got back um, before Christmas. My last day was in uh, December 1st at St. Supri. And then I road tripped back here, which was really fun with one of my coworkers. So, yeah, I got back here the 15th of December, I think. So okay. Arthur said you've been in New Zealand twice, Napa once for Harvest. Yes. So what's what's the uh, what's the end game with all this? I mean, what's your what's your aspirations? I mean, you're you're a very young what's woman. What's your plan for life? Well, I mean, <laughs> she's young. You you it'll all fall to hell eventually. But right. you know, you've got, <laughs> you got to have some sort of a plan. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Um, You'll get there. No, no get the there. plan will fall to hell. Maybe not the actual Just accomplishments. <laughs> no. Um, so my ultimate goal is to be a winemaker. Um, it's not something that I was intending on um, pursuing when I did my first vintage. Um, I was working at the Alexander Hotel at Plat 99 when I decided to go to New Zealand. And I have to admit, at first, it was kind of more about going to New Zealand because absolutely, I'd come through. I was doing my quarter life crisis, quote unquote, you know. And <laughs> I, uh, not I, sure that's a thing. I think it might be. A thing. <laughs> it was a thing for me. Everyone could start younger now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah. I was quarter, ahead of the curve. <laughs> quarter life crisis. Yeah, but um, so much like Arthur going to Guatemala, I was trying to go on my spirit journey. journey a little bit, to be honest. Honestly, I just wanted to go to New Zealand for a while. Um, but I was doing menu development at the at Plat 99 um, with my co-managers on the wine list. Before that, I'd been focusing on cocktails and spirits mm-hmm. and everything. But what intrigued me about cocktails was the balance of acid and sugar and how that works and everything. And then once I started tasting wine and actually thinking about it, more and talking with reps about terroir and everything, then it kind of clicked for me a little bit. Um, I was tasting a wine and I just wanted to know more about it. I just was super intrigued. So I've always been a traveler. I found some blogs online actually about people who were backpacking and would just work a harvest in New Zealand without any experience. So I emailed Arthur and a few mm-hmm. other people. I remember. Arthur said he appreciated my balls, as you said earlier. <laughs> yeah. But. <laughs> no, no, no comment response. I mean, I, you know. Yeah. But, and then, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to get in touch with um, Bill Kennedy from Crossroads. He knew a winemaker in New Zealand, an Australian winemaker, and sent over my resume, and they took me on, and that was my first vintage, and I was hooked. To, like, speak to what, you know, you said, Arthur appreciated your bravery, <laughs> your gusto. Uh, but no, I, that was one of the reasons I was really excited to sit down and talk with you today, because, man, if I could go back 20 years, and, you know, I had all these, like, things that I wanted to do in the world, and not necessarily in the wine world, but this, a million things. But, you know, I find that when you're young, you just tend to just make things a little more difficult in your mind than they really are. And it really does a lot of times, not always, take just getting up off your ass to do it. Definitely. And you did that, right? And so, like, I I think it's because you're so young and you've been able to work now three harvests and you've been through New Zealand, Napa, that, like, that's, it's really valuable information for those people out there that are in the same position you were. Like, you know, you said you've just really been interested in becoming a winemaker for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. It's been two years since that all started for me. And now I just, I love it. But, you know, it's, what you just mentioned is something that's kind of common with people that I've talked about or with people that I've worked with and talked to because one of my friends, George, Georgia, uh, she is from New Zealand. We were working together in Napa and she was talking about how people would say that she was lucky for what she was doing Mm -hmm. and um, you know when you are doing something like that it is something you think about like I'm very um, happy to have this opportunity but at the same time anyone can do it it's not it's not something that I did because I knew more than anyone else it's just because you know I had the passion, I wanted to explore more, and you know, it's just as difficult and it's just as easy as just doing it. 
just buy the ticket, get on the plane. Nothing to but to do it. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot easier said than done. But again, in retrospect, I mean, you know, Arthur and I are a little older than you. Yeah. And so, I mean, now, you know, looking back, I'm like, God, I really wasted my 20s by just smoking weed and drinking shitty booze. Well, I mean, I've done but a I, fair amount of that, but too. But I spent all of my money on those things where right. I, I could have been spending that money on backtrack or backpacking across Europe or some of the places that I really love now, but I can't ever go to because I don't have time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I so, and, you know. It says the guy who just got back <laughs> I know. I do realize this. And last year went to Amsterdam and all stuff. I do realize the irony of this. Yeah. And I was going to say, I'm a little, I, I also like a little bit more of my creature comforts these days because, you know, Arthur and I are a little older than I thought about the avocado box. I was like, never mind. <laughs> no no th- creature comforts there. <laughs> the avocado box was, was, was awesome. But <laughs> it, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a lifestyle decision. And, it, you know, if you get that bug earlier, you know, right on, man. I mean, I, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I was falling like with wine, but I, I was working my way through school. And then, then you know, the thought of, um, the thought of doing the hospice thing never, it, I, I don't know, it, it's just never kind of... I think you're talking about hostels. Hospice is where you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Morgan, that's, that's such an insult to my... Oh, my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hostel <laughs> thing. I mean, that, that, you know, that, like, those things kind of occurred to me, but, you know, and... Yeah, who, who knows? I mean, I, I didn't stavel, start stavel. God, I can't talk today. <laughs> I didn't start really traveling a lot until, like, the end of my latter 20s and then in through yeah, my same 30s, here. and I was able to get into wholesale early. So, you know, I mean, a lot of the trips that I've gone to, um, they, they, they've had a degree of poshness well, to them. I will say that my father's to blame for me having the travel bug as much as I do. Um, when I was in high school, when I graduated high school, my brother and sister and I, all of us for our graduation presents, we didn't grow up having a lot of money or anything. We didn't have air conditioning or cable, but he bought us all round trip plane tickets to Europe for our graduation That's presents. Cool. And was like, and we had to save money to support ourselves while we were there, which we'd been doing because we knew that it was something that, you know, we knew it was going to be what happened after we graduated. And um, I went to Italy and I went to Norway. I had a friend who was a foreign exchange student um, the year previous in Ohio and she was Norwegian. So she and I traveled together for a month. And it was because of that, that you know I wanted to travel and that's the reason that it doesn't seem, it seems like something I have to do. Like, it's something I'm kind of addicted to. Traveling is the way to go, um, and especially if you ever intend to have a a view on life um, or certain political views or certain like you know impactful views of global ramifications. But you've never left your fucking zip code, <laughs> then you should probably just keep your mouth shut. Because um, seeing how cult- cultures are, seeing how how the world is, is it, it's it's a very phenomenal experience, and it puts everything in your your bubble um, in perspective. Hopefully, so you grew Definitely. up in Indianapolis here in the city. No, I grew up in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that's right. You said Ohio, Toledo, 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 Toledo area. Okay. Yeah, Northwest Ohio. It's a really small town, actually, like a thousand people. I grew up on a farm. Okay, uh, that's what I was leading to because yes. I was like, for me to think about, I mean. Winemaker wouldn't even have been on my radar. You know, if I was like, I want a job in the wine industry right. in my 20s, that would not have been on the top, like, 50 because it, it's something that is so foreign to me. You know, unless you grow up in a region where it's there's vineyards everywhere, you know, when driving yeah. through Alsace or Burgundy or, like, right. Piedmont. I mean, there, you see vines everywhere. Here, you see corn. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're in the Midwest. You see corn and soybeans. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's why I was wondering where that right. connection, like, I mean, obviously you had a little bit of that you were used to growing up in a farm, but... Yeah, the I mean, the agriculture part of wine, as I get into it more and more, is really something that is just beautiful to me because you're taking something from the ground and turning it into wine, you know? And it's farming, man. It's, it's farming, it's agriculture, and it's, it's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But no, and I never thought about being a winemaker. I didn't even know the term winemaker. I didn't, you know, someone who makes wine, clearly, but, like, I didn't know that was a thing, like, that there are people who just make wine, like, back in the day. When I was growing up, I had no idea. But, um, and honestly, when I got to New Zealand, I didn't even know what I was going to be doing. Honestly, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. 90% cleaning, they say about winemaking all the time. But um, I didn't know if I was going to be outside working in the vineyards at all, but I was doing completely the winemaking side of things, the analogy, rather than the viticulture part. Yeah, there. no, I mean, it, it, it's it's hard work. Um, and it, it's also multifaceted. I mean, there, there are people that make wine and are vinerones, and that's really their gig. But guess what? They, they have... Um, Viticulturalists, right. They, right? they have vineyard managers. Before you got here today, we were talking about that. How there's so many variables. So many. Like you've got the winemaker, well, how you, they treat the grapes, how they do all responsible that. Responsible for clonal variations. You got right. uh, companies devoted to uh, for for grafting. You you, you have people that uh, that head up yeast uh, cultivation, water, uh, water uh, supply, and water yeah. management on 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 these properties. Um, it's it, it, it's real, real, real hard to to be a master of everything, and different people specialize in, in different areas of what mm-hmm. ultimately goes into the bottle. And we haven't even spoke to like marketing departments and sales, and you know, business. And are you sustainable in that regard? It's one thing if you're a good winemaker, but I mean, if you can't work with your viticulturalist team. Uh, if you can't look X amount out and, and you know, see your water supplies um, and how they're going to affect your crop. I mean, hell, California just came off of a drought from, what, 2012 to just a couple of years ago, oh nine to just a couple of years ago. Who do you think was, was freaking out at night when, when that was happening? It was the viticulturalist team. But right now, you know, everyone in the vineyards are worried about frost management because we're not out of that window to where if it dips below you know if it gets to 36 degrees all hands on deck and that's so if you would have heard all this the first day before you went to new zealand <laughs> would you have been gone <laughs> i think so i yeah. think so so because... i mean what like what was that first day like i mean or the first trip not the first day the first trip i yeah. guess that vine over there right exactly those yeah berries, bring them back. <laughs> right yeah that's why i corrected my question <laughs> But, I mean, after the experience, it had to have been enlightening. Yeah, it was completely enlightening. Um, I learned the technical side of basic wine production my first year. Um, Both times in New Zealand, I was the fermentation side. Um, In New Zealand, the wineries are large enough that a lot of the time you work in your department rather than doing everything. Yeah. So I was on the fermentation team with two others and had a winemaker who was my direct boss there. And then, um, honestly, it was just interesting learning about tanks and fittings and hoses and how everything works and um, tasting off and pushing through with water and all of the things that Mm -hmm. you have to do and racking and, you know, things that were just so foreign to me that I, I didn't know what they were. And then... Now they're something that makes me happy. Being in the cellar is just one of my favorite things. Did in the you world. immediately go back to for another harvest the following year? Uh, or was that I didn't know if they were I, consecutive years or it was consecutive years. So it was, 2016 was my first. Then I came back here to Indianapolis. Um, I got a job working as a sales consultant for one of the local distributors for a little while. Okay. Before deciding that I couldn't, I couldn't be away from winemaking. Um, it was something that I really wanted to explore because honestly, I never knew what I wanted to do with my life. Um, until, get easier. <laughs> until I went to New Zealand and I started making wine, even though, you know, it was my first time. It was grunt work. You know, I wasn't in charge of anything, sure. but it was, I got such a fulfillment from doing it like nothing else I'd ever done in my life. So, And you mostly, you did stuff in the winery not stuff not necessarily stuff in the vineyard right correct i yeah not at all i wasn't working in um the vineyards at all i i lived on the vineyards which is very nice yeah. so i would walk the vines and stuff and i would try the grapes and everything um but as far as the viticulture i haven't gotten to experience that yet yeah the yet. wine making team versus the wine growing team are two 
two totally different teams, and you, you have two different um, reasons for being there and, and, and different skill sets. I mean, even if you are a chemistry nerd and you can dig on both sides, you're going to school for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're in the winemaking side, you're learning about, you know, nematodes and, you know, fan leaf and leaf roll and vine diseases and water management and... You know, uh, if we haven't lost all the people after the poison frog conversation, <laughs> the frozen, <laughs> the, the we fro- just the, lost the frozen, the poison the frozen frog. frogs. God damn, I cannot changed think. everything there. Blue crystal eagle. I gotta quit this dry <laughs> thing, man. I've lost my ability to articulate. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we articulate so well when we're drinking. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I mean, people, people the voice. hear yeah. us talking and they're like, "What a bunch of academics." Um, Lubricates the voice. <laughs> I could use some of that today after screaming all night last night. I took my nephew to a metal show. Oh. Nice. Seven-year-old. Wow. Um, what show? He'd never been to a concert anywhere. That's awesome. And so uh, went to go uh, take him to see. Well, he's in town from Florida. Um, and so I called my sister. I'm like, do I have permission to take your son right, to a metal right, show? Right, right. I was like, I'll make sure he's cool. Um, you know, we'll stay in the back, out of the pit. Away from the guy with no shirt yeah, on. I'm going to throw the seven-year-old into the pit. Wait, wait. I told him, I was like, watch out for the guy with no shirt on. He's bad news. He's like, <laughs> he's like who is the guy? I'm like, no, nah, it's not one specific guy, but there's always one guy that takes his shirt off, and he's the asshole. An A guy. But no, we uh, went to go see Twitching Tongues, Crowbar, and um, Hate Breed. So um, he loved it, man. He stayed awake for the whole show. At seven years old, he was on our shoulders the whole time, and he was... <laughs> He was definitely the most popular dude in the show. People were walking by like, man, little dude. And they're like high-fiving him. And he would correct him. And he'd high-five, but then he'd give him a stern look and then throw the horns up. And I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> I can only imagine what his show and tell will be like next. <laughs> oh, no. My sister already said that. She's like, yeah, I can't wait till he gets back from Easter break in right. Orlando. And they say, what did you do over break? And he says, we went to go see Hate Breed. <laughs> but yeah. no, it was, sorry to... Uh, Get off topic there for a moment, but so, yeah, uh, it was it was cool. I myself, I'm I'm more of a winery guy. I'm not the vineyard guy, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I I want to understand the vineyard because it helps me understand ultimately what's happened. And as an educator, I do have to bore poor students with discussions of transpiration and translocation and vine shutting down and you know all that 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 kind of stuff, but. Now, I mean, it, 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 uh, to me, the, I mean, it, it, it's all hard work, but to me, the vineyard work is a little bit more difficult. You spend a lot more time, you know, like bending over and clipping things, mm. you know, tying cordons to trellising wires and pruning and... Um, it's unforgiving. It all starts there. It all starts in the vineyard. And you can't and have good wine without good fruit when it comes down to it. No, no. Very true. Very true. As much as a lot of winemakers tend to think that you make wine in the winery, it, it, it should theoretically be made, um, be made in, in the vineyard. Um, so were you doing fermentation in Napa also? No, actually, so St. Supri is small enough, so it's about the, a third of the size that I was working at in um, New Zealand. So I literally did everything there. I, w- I came first. I went in July. Um, the rest of the interns got there mid-August. I'm also the only American who was working there, which helps with visas and things when they don't have to deal with that. Um, but so I worked in the lab for about a month and a half um, before everyone else got there. And then I did everything. Um, I was in charge of most of the whites for St. Supri. I racked everything. I made all the rosé that they have as well. Um, So it was everything, really. Um, Yeah, it was a very well-rounded experience that I got at St. Supri, something that you get when you work at a smaller winery rather than a larger one. Um, You learn how to work hard New Zealand. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What's what's the next stop, I guess? Like, what would you like to get out of your next harvest? Um, next, I would like to... I, I enjoy the cellar so much. I, I love it. I really do. It's my quiet space to be alone racking a tank and it's just it's beautiful i love it but there is something sexy about cellars oh it's <laughs> beautiful they smell good the smell. You get the wood yeah the, but yeah 
I love it. I love it. I go nuts. Um, it smells like history is, I think, what I like about it, cellars. And the, the sounds and the smells. And it's, I mean, it's great. It really is. Um, but I need to get in the lab more. Um, yeah. I need to work a full vintage in the lab next is what my goal would be. Although I'd like to sneak in the cellar as well just so I can get both. So for our listeners that don't understand what happens in a lab, because I know a lot of people, you know, they have this romanticized vision of like what happens in a winery or a distillery and they forget that there's real right. science behind a lot of these things and you have to make sure that you've kind of controlling variables and whatnot. Definitely. But yes, in the lab. Yeah, so in the lab, um, I mean, starting off, you're always... Um, sampling grapes um, to see if they're ready for harvest. So testing bricks for sugar and um, then TA and pH. Um, then throughout the entire winemaking process, you're testing for sulfur, sulfur levels, you know, TA, pH, and then doing things like heat stability, cold stability, making sure that you're not getting too many tartrates in your white wine once it's in the bottle and making sure that the wine's going to keep if it gets too warm as well. Um, and then for bottling, testing levels for like CO2 and oxygen, things like that um, the entire time. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, the lab is. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. It's a lot of tests. I'm always fascinated it's, by the lab. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot, a of, lot tests. of tests. I mean, you're, you're following the wine, but you're also directing the wine. It, it, a lot of working in a winery is space management. You know, and what kind of tanks do you have? What kind of barrels do you have? Are your barrels ready? Are they primed to, to, to hold wine coming in? Um... Gauging temperatures, following fermentation, are there bacterial developments? You had mentioned, you know, checking pH and checking TA and checking checking sulfur levels. When are you inoculating sulfur? When are you not? Um, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff, but um, a lot of those technical things, your ability as a winemaker is really supported by your intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, your work history, experiencing this situation, that situation, your mentoring, who's kind of following and making sure you're not dumping this tank into that tank <laughs> and creating your own new blend or cuvee, and then lowering your detection thresholds and recognition thresholds for certain things that are going wrong. You know, um, volatile acidity, ethyl acetate, um, brett formation, um, is the wine reductive or not? So, I mean, there can be an extraordinary amount of uh, technical things that go into it. And then hopefully, you know, at the end of the day, you sit around and you have a glass of wine and you reflect on where things are and where things need to go and wash a lot of purple off your hands. <laughs> Which doesn't come out very easily, no. actually. No, no. No. Nah, hands will be stained for a long time. If you're working still in purple? the red center. Cellar. No, huh? No. Uh, They're not four months long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Citric is good to take it off. When uh, when I first started making wine, um, back in my early twenties, just for shits and giggles, um, I had just. Are we counting prison hooch as you making wine? <laughs> I've never made merlot in a toilet. <laughs> I never have. Eggshells and all. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I, Yeast, uh, bread, and Kool-Aid, man. I don't know how this <laughs> shit goes. <laughs> I, wear, I, I wear scrubs to work because I knew I was going to get dirty and get messy. And uh, I remember, like, leaving and then being out in public and, like, people would be like, do you work at a haunted house? Like, <laughs> what, what, what is all this? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, I work in a haunted house. Boo. Um, what, you walk around with bloody scrubs? <laughs> the last thing they wanted to hear you say was, now I work at a hospital. There's like red juice. All, right, exactly. Oh, these old things? Oh, I forgot to change clothes after work. <laughs> a rough day in ER. Where did you say your <laughs> right. mother was sent to earlier in the day? Throw that out. Be like, what hospital did you work at? I want to make sure I'm never <laughs> in that Stay ER. away from that. Right, yeah. yeah. So... You got a little bit of New Zealand action going on. You have some California action going on. What's on your radar as far as places to work internationally? Do a little bit of old school action. Well, Are you collecting places at this point to like round out the experience? or? Well, honestly, it's 
kind of a matter of language, like I kind of touched on with you before we started. But um, Australia is next for me. They also pay the best as far as the wine industry goes. So I am chasing paper a little bit at my age right now because I'm trying to save for later. Um, but so Australia will probably be next. I'd like to make my way over to Europe, but I don't speak another language. I mm-hmm. speak a little bit of Spanish, but... You just need to speak American, man. <sighs> America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I have been told by numerous people that a lot of places, you know, English is the common language as far as everything goes a lot of the time. But I'm intimidated by working in France or Italy. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to at least make my way over and maybe not work a full vintage, but at least go for some tours through some wineries. And as my career progresses, who knows? I mean, I'd love to get over there, but. Right now, Australia's next on my radar for vintage. So when you're drinking wine, what are you reaching for? Um, if you I... say French or Italian, then you're <laughs> totally going to the wrong places here. <laughs> well, um, honestly, I will drink everything that I don't know about yet. And I, I want to learn about all wine. So I don't care as far as what I'm drinking as long as it's something that is going to be interesting for me. Um, I've drank a lot of New Zealand soft blanc and I've drank a lot of Napa Cab so I like to steer to other things a little bit more. You want to try something new and you're going to Australia. Don't offend all of our potential employers <laughs> quite yet. I know, right? <laughs> but I mean, They're like, wait a minute, is it weird, this girl on a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you have to to look at it from the winemaking side as well, because I enjoy good wine, and now I'm learning more wine theory about certain wines and, you know, learning all the different wines throughout the world and the regions and everything. But at the same time, you as a winemaker work with what you have, where you have it, and... It's, I think it's important to know what else is out there for winemakers, but at the same time, they kind of ignore a lot of other things sometimes and work with what they, what they have. Um, so you, you deal with what you can. I mean, a lot of yeah. winemakers out there, they, they specialize in their wine if they work um, in conjunction with, with their viticulturalists, which, which many of them do. They know which plots. Um, and what to expect uh, within a vineyard from them. Definitely. But there are extremely few winemakers that do have an overall global context of the wine at large. And it's, it's just too much. It's like asking, asking someone who does have an overall extensive wine knowledge in a global context to, to know the ins and outs of Winemaking. Definitely. Um, there are generation or like generalities or things you can assume just from like uh, developing a palate and working around and tasting certain things or understanding regional styles. But you know, when when push comes to so- shove, you could take the vast majority of wine professionals or sommeliers out there and you know put them into a vineyard and say, okay, you know, what, what, what's what's the spacing here? I don't know. What kind of trellising system are they using? Is that spur caned or, you know, is, is that, um, are you, you trellising? Those delineations the spurs are almost canes? like necessary because you need your winemaker. They, I don't need my winemakers focusing for 45 years on being this amazing somebody that understands all the vintages of every winemaker in every no, region. No, you don't understand. And I don't need shit. my psalms necessarily understanding every tiny little detail of trellising. Necessarily, you don't. And unfortunately, That's like by delineating that, I mean obviously there needs to be like the Venn diagram. You know, those, yeah. those lines cross, and, and people think if you're in wine in some capacity, then you're quote a connoisseur or gourmand. And I don't know what the fuck that means. I mean, it's such a broad. It's a lot broad industry. It really is, and there's so much involved. It's a huge genre of academe that incorporates. Yes. Geology, geography, all the sciences, chemistry, um, your senses, organoleptic assessment, um, intuition. Uh, it, 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 you can play the Kevin Bacon game with yeah, wine sure. real fucking easy. Well, we were talking about that earlier before you got here. Uh, you know, it's like you, 
you have all this breadth and you've learned all of these things about how the fruit you're working with was grown and the soil types and what the climate was like and all of the process in the laboratory, et cetera. And then next year you get to hit reset and start right back again. Yeah, you're like, definitely. okay, let's do it all again. And I think that's the intimidating part for a lot of people when it comes to wine. It's like you, once you really start kind of getting a little bit of a grasp, it kind of all can potentially go out the window with a change of a winemaker, a shitty season, climate, all that. And I think that's where a lot of people get intimidated and they just were like, ah, I think I'd rather drink Bud Light because that's easy to understand. And But for those that kind of have that mentality, like that's where the fun part of it is. Like knowing that you're going to get that, you know, Bud Light taste out of every can for the rest of your life isn't that exciting. Like right. it's real cool to taste something this year and then come back in five years and try it against the new vintage and be like, whoa, that's Definitely. like for, for those of us in the industry and hopefully, you know, well, Arthur's air quote connoisseurs, you know, like, but if people that enjoy it, like that's the, that's where the enjoyment comes from is that you're, it's always changing. And so, you know, you don't get kind of bored of it. It's, it's an opportunity to always learn. That, that's where I come from, you know. There's always another wine-producing region. There's always going to be another vintage. And you can make generalizations about different wine-producing countries more so than others. Some countries are a lot more finicky. Some grapes are a lot more finicky. Other grapes are a lot more consistent. But, you know, you go to a particular wine region, and it isn't common or it shouldn't be unlikely for you to hear that winemaker or that wine professional based in that region say, Oh, yeah. Now, this 2015 was really different than the 2014 and really different than the 2013. And in some cases, yes, they can be, especially if you have a really horrible vintage or a really great vintage. But in a lot of cases, when someone is sitting there tasting a glass of wine, they're like, oh, my God, this 2015 is so much more different than 2014. (laughs) And if you don't smell a difference... And you got both of them in front of you. Don't fucking beat yourself up. You know, what I mean, <laughs> what they mean by really different is that this one is slightly more ripe, and this one was slightly underripe, and that doesn't even register on you unless you know how to assess what a ripeness in a wine or underripeness in a wine means. Um, it's you know, you become hopefully good at your craft, and, and you know what you work with more so on a daily basis. Um, I like that Madeline has kind of like a focused path to where she wants to experience everything, but she, I think she's narrowing down winemaking is, is, is her jam and that there's a potential new world focus on it. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. You know, you, yeah. And that's just because of her language barrier. <laughs> she's like, damn it, I can only work in the new world because they speak English. Well, not, no, not the whole new world, obviously. Right, right, yeah. right. Could be an asshole like me. It's like, I don't know any of your languages, and I'm going to plow right the fuck through it. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, you made the leap to j- move across the ocean. Why not make the leap to a country? Uh- well, and honestly, it is something that, you know, the more that we talk about it and the more that I sit here thinking about it, when you have learned the cellar techniques, you know how to make wine at that point. So, it's chemistry. Yeah, and... People can give you an amount of direction no matter what the language mm-hmm. is at that point. So, Science is universal. Yeah, it's true. But I'm st- sticking to my guns. Australia's still next for, next for me. Do it to it. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, we uh, need to start the episode by asking Arthur, what did you have to oh, drink shit. last night? Yeah, we, we <laughs> jumped, we, we, yeah because we haven't been drinking. Frog poison, man. <laughs> frog poison and lack. Well, I didn't have any lack of alcohol. Oh, it's so good. Um, did you have anything to drink last night? I mean, not drink, drink. I know you're dry still. Well, the dryness kind of went to shit in Napa. Oh, did it? All right. I was wondering, man. I was, I'm, I'm still <laughs> way happened. more dry than, He's drier. than normal. <laughs> but I, I told myself going out, I was like, look, man, you don't like, you're going to all these properties. You're going to be working out there at some properties. And you're going to see, I mean, I saw a lot of old friends. Every one of them is like, hey, good to see you. I brought this bottle of Grand Cru, whatever. Um, so I consumed more than uh, I probably would have liked, but not nearly as much as I usually do. Um, and I still would have dinner with lots of tea and lots of sodas and things. Um, yeah, my dryness kind of went kind out of the window in New York. New York. Well, it, yeah, well, it was, not, it was Martin Kate. Okay, <laughs> it was like uh, that lasted an hour and a half, I think. Um, no, it didn't even last that long. We weren't even <laughs> barely checked into the hotel before I had a bottle of bubbly. Yeah, no, um, yeah, the last couple of nights over the weekend I had, um, just Duke tea. Duke of tea? Just, just tea. I, well, 
Um, I've been it's getting away. a lot of love here on uh, Shift Drink, the Duke. I know. I, 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 are we getting, <laughs> we're getting, getting <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go. Um, Welcome need, to Yoga Talk with right. Arthur Black and Ed Rudisell. Yeah, because that's not going to fucking happen. Um, Get our uh, PBS, NPR voices on. Sweaty balls. Need um, a video, um, not welcome just back. A I am Oturo Negro. Yep. <laughs> you have to always say your name with your NPR name with like a completely appropriate accent. <laughs> right. Like right. I love those folks. It's awesome. I don't. Me too. Me too. I, what, I, I hate what did the you pronunciation. Yeah. Over in a pronunciation group. It's uh, it's pretty easy to say Arthur Black. <laughs> yes, it Blocky. is. Blocky. Blocky. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron. Um, Madeline, Me? did you have anything to drink last night? Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What whiskey? Just Jameson. Nice. Found square water, as they call it in these parts, I think. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Is that a thing? Is that called I, found square first water? first I heard it, but I'm going with it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. The post-St. Patrick's Day uh, Jameson. You're yeah. a little late on that, I think. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. For sure. Uh, St. Patty's in Napa was actually funny, man. Like, we... Um, I, I was hanging out with some friends for the first night because I flew on Saturday, and they're like, where do you want to go out to dinner? I was like, I want good, and I want unpretentious. Because, um, <laughs> you know, whatever, man. We eat and drink for a living. I didn't feel like a fancy-ass dinner. And a buddy of mine was like, oh, I got just a place, which will remain nameless. And I walk in there, and it was a trap. It was an attractive place, but it, it just screamed Napa. Like, I looked down the menu, and the first thing I saw was like, foie gras. Uh, close. It was it was like crudo with like fogwall mousse, with, <laughs> right? You know, like, with black truffles and <laughs> dusts of yeah, gold, biodynamic avocado, <laughs> and, and and radish that's pickled in whatever herb saying. I mean, it, I just kind of looked. I was like, really, you fucking dick, unpretentious, really. Um, so we had a couple hours there, and then we did go down to another place that I do love called Zuzu's. Um, which it's it's right on Main Street, and it's it's a great place to check out um, the cop tapas kind of thing, grinded there, and then by the time we got to Zuzu's, the fucking the freaks were out, so you could see like the tourists mixed with like the Napa Valley trust fund babies all out partying. That's interesting. And, uh, oh, it was great. Like, I was walking past another place, uh, past another place called Napkin, and, like, some security guard <laughs> I was... love how you're talking about napkins on here right now. Oh, my <laughs> God. I've spent so many times there. Have you? Well, just... Enough. Yeah. Enough. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> the security guard was carrying this chick out, like, by her pits. And, um, like, because there was a fight with another girl, and she was freaking out. And he, he got to the end of the sidewalk, and he was just holding her. And he just kind of looked around, like, am I supposed to drop this bitch or what? And then he was nice enough to just put her down. And then, you know, things went okay. And I, I just got out of the situation because I, I just didn't need to get into yeah. a bar fight and nap on St. Patty's Day. No, uh-uh. Yeah. Well, I guess that leads us right to the end. Because after St. Patrick's Day, every single person needs a hangover cure. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, do you have a hangover cure for us? For us? What the hell? And I can't talk today now. What the, now I've been watching Looney Tunes cartoons. What the kind of you first? I don't know what the fuck that was. Hangover like. cure? Hangover yeah. cure. For me, usually a Coca-Cola. Um, a Coca-Cola. A Coca-Cola. If only it were that easy. For sure. Well, and some bread. Like I always need bread. Coca-Cola. Regular, for sure. Regular? Yeah, for sure. I need the sugar. That knocks out the hangover for you. Oh, yeah. It really does. couple ibuprofen, Coca-Cola, couple pieces of white bread or like a nice roll. Don't know why we got to bring color into this, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, wow. it has to. It has to be that like terrible gluteny bad white bread. It yeah, does it for no me. No baguette or anything like that. Well, no, that would be fine. That would be fine. That would be fine. So pretty much any bread that's lying around the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I love diet coke for a hangover. Really? There's something about aspartame, that aspartame. that's like, yeah, it's like, ooh, you love toxicity. diet coke all the time though, don't you? I, I've, I've acquired a, a palate for I, aspartame, man. <laughs> I have too, man. I get so much shit over it, but yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm down with the diet coke. Mm. Yeah, no, I I dig it. I, I prefer it over regular coke. Um, that shit's know. pretty cloyingly sweet too. It's it's the sugar. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it what is. What do you guys use for your hangovers? Oh, we got oh. like four. Wow. Yeah, we have so many hangover cures now. <laughs> um, well, my my standard fare is is failing me as of late. <laughs> I don't know if it's age or whatnot, <laughs> but although I've definitely. Um, 
uh, there's a blogger named Josh Miller out in California, and he's big on the um, just kind of maintenance and preventative care. So I've been taking the milk thistle oh. uh, supplements, and he always swears by that to like help you know soften the blow. I've been doing hmm. that. I always travel with like a kit, so I've got my like Tums. I've got a little Pepto in there. Tums because I drink a lot of tiki drinks, so there's a lot of like citric right, of acid course. I'm putting into my stomach. Um, always Advil, and I set my alarm always two hours prior to when I need to be up, so that I pop the Advil exactly. then, and that then by the time key. I actually wake up, the, I, it takes the sharp edges off the hangover. Do you eat when you wake up? I don't. Too? Because no, I, I really find don't. that if I eat before, eat, take the ibuprofen or Advil and yeah. go back to bed, then I'm usually pretty good. But I can't handle it like I used to. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is getting harder. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always take vitamins and, you know, stuff with me as well, but... Yeah, for sure. Xanax to take the edge off. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple to ease the, ease yeah, the pain. it used to be my jam. I don't, I don't take this as much anymore. Well, if I, now, these days, man, like, seriously, the older I get, I, I mean, I get... I have, obviously, anxiety. Not obviously, because when, when I'm on the mic... too many restaurants. When I'm on the mic, this is, like, my, my cool time where I can relax, but, like, I mean, I have anxiety issues, so, like, I've got a prescription for Xanax, but I'm trying to, like, wean off of it a little bit and not use it quite so much, but the anxiety gets terrible if I've been out drinking all night. I mean, terrible to the point where I can't sleep. Yeah. It'll wake me up, and I'll just feel like a ball of nerves, and so, like, usually with that... That first round of, of ibuprofen, I will also take a Xanax so that I can actually yeah. get a little bit of restful sleep. And then, uh, yeah. And yeah, like it's just harder and harder to deal with the older you get. Yeah, I hear you. It doesn't stop me from drinking. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Unfortunately. A forgetful sickness. Yeah. <laughs> just never learned my lesson. Right, right. Well, I would, do you have any like social media where people can like follow you to like check out your ventures and figure out where you land next? At least sure. you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Instagram. Sure. I guess it's just my name, Madeline Hilly, M-A-D-E-L-Y-N-H-I-L-L-E. All right. Yeah, so can check out some pictures from some of my travels there too. It's been a blast. Very cool. Yeah, we'll put that, uh, we'll link that onto the uh, show notes as well. So you can click oh. straight through to your Instagram profile. And that'll be pretty cool. Don't forget to check us out at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. And then uh, we're also quite active on Instagram at shiftdrinkpodcast. It is. Um, <laughs> well, I have you send me photos and stuff too. I keep, I, I maintain all this. I think everybody's figured that out at this point because. Anytime that one of the two of us is in a photo on Instagram, it's usually me. <laughs> or it's a shot of you taken by me. Um, but we do also post some pretty cool articles that are relevant to like things like Madeline was discussing today, winemaking, etc., on Facebook, because it's a really great avenue to actually put articles um, that we want to remember to read or that we like our listeners to check out. So, um, yeah, check us out. And then also please rate us on whatever you listen to podcasts on. Uh, it's always always helps out the show a little bit to, to get that better rating. So, all right, until next time, folks. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.